the bridle. That's Riley for lazy chops, dice and slice, never stops, lasts a lifetime, mows your lawn. And it mows your lawn, and it picks up the kids from school, it gets rid of unwanted facial hair, it gets rid of embarrassing age spots, it delivers a pizza, and it lengthens, and it strengthens, and it finds that slipper that's been at large under the chase lounge for several weeks. And what exactly is this amazing product? Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. This amazing product is the brand new Planet Money iPhone app. And it is awesome. It does not mow your lawn, but it is totally free and it does a bunch of other cool things. For instance, you can save shows like this one offline so you can listen to us if you're in a subway system or an underground gold vault. It also lets you share anything you heard or saw on Planet Money with your friends on Facebook or Twitter or even by email. And if you listen to our show through iTunes, you may not be aware of all the other stuff that Planet Money is doing. We've got great blog posts about the economy and our radio stories, which you would like to hear. Yeah, we've got this new girl, Lam, who's been doing some awesome graphics. She has one up about the world's biggest and richest countries. You do not want to miss this. So get the app now. Step right up. You will not regret it. Get the app. Today on the show, we're talking about Grexit. Perhaps you've heard this. This is the new term they've come up with for the Greek exit, the possibility of Greece leaving the euro. And people are very upset about this because there's no good example of how to get a country out of a currency union. There's no real precedent for what might happen with Greece. The closest thing we've got is from over 100 years ago, and it was really, really messy. We'll tell you that story in just a minute. But first, the Planet Money Indicator with Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money Indicator, 69,000. The U.S. economy added 69,000 jobs in the month of May. That's, of course, according to the big jobs report that came out this morning. And this is an awful, awful number. This is the bleakest Planet Money Indicator I can remember for a long time. Wow. You know, look, jobs is the most important indicator right now, by far. And for the past three jobs reports, there has been this question, right? Because earlier this year, there was one bad jobs report. You get one bad jobs report, and the question is, is it a fluke? You know, maybe it's just a blip. Then the next jobs report last month, that was also bad. So at that point, you're saying, well, it's less blippy, but maybe we can hope it's the weather or something. Now, this time, this is the worst jobs number in a year The last two months were revised downward. I have it here. Let me see. So for April, we initially thought it was 115,000 jobs added. Turns out only 77,000. And remember, just to keep up with population growth, never mind bringing down unemployment, just to keep up with population growth, we need more than 100,000 new jobs a month. So we are falling into the hole right now. Well, you know, we hate to leave people with just saying it's bad. So, you know, I I look through the numbers, like trying to find – you know, you always try and find a different story in there, and, and, and I really couldn't find anything. There's, there's huge weakness in the construction sector. We knew that. Uh, manufacturing's doing okay. It's been doing okay for almost a year now. Adding some jobs, a rare bright spot. But overall, I didn't see anything that really changes the story that we've seen over the last three years. Right. And and as it happens, the, the recovery, such as it is, it started in June of 2009. Today is June 1st, 2012. So it's actually three years now we've been in the recovery, which obviously isn't much of recovery. And if you step back, uh, we actually did this on the blog today, you step back and look at the recession, which only lasted a year and a half. We lost more than 7 million jobs during the recession. In the three years of the recovery, we've gained back not even 3 million jobs. So 
still far in the hole. And it's amazing. You hear people talk today and they'll still slip into saying the word recession, you know, when we're out of this recession. It's amazing that it's three years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is this distinction, right? A recession means things are getting worse. And essentially what we've seen for the last three years is things haven't been actively getting worse. The economy has not been shrinking, but they have not been getting better very quickly. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks. On to the dilemma of Greece. And over the last few weeks, I'm sure you have heard all of the talk, the renewed talk, I should say, about Greece leaving the euro. They have elections in just a couple of weeks. And depending on who wins, it could determine whether the country continues to get loans from the rest of Europe and whether Greece will actually stay in the euro. Will they be in or will they be out? Now, as we've talked about this here at Planet Money, I keep thinking back to a show that you, Caitlin, did last year with David Kestenbaum about the breakup of the Austro-Hungarian Currency Union. And it seems weird. And I know at the time, we gave you a hard time about doing this story. So much stuff. You guys gave me such a hard time. I was like, listen, if you want an example from history, here it is. Here it is. Look at what happened. And everyone was like, oh, stop talking about that. Caitlin, it's ancient history. You and your whole Austro-Hungarian obsession, get over it. But it is the best example we've got. And, you know, over the last few weeks, I have been thinking back to this time and time again, because all of the things they're talking about in Europe right now, all of the contingency plans for how to get a country out of a currency, all the things that would have to happen for Greece to leave without destroying the rest of Europe, all of this has been faced before in this story from 1918. So let's give it a listen. Caitlin, take it away. The Austro-Hungarian Empire, as you might have guessed, was a union of the Austrian Empire and the Kingdom of Hungary. Austrian Empire plus Kingdom of Hungary equals Austro-Hungarian Empire. And it was pretty big, included Hungary, Austria, Romania, Czech and Slovak republics, large parts of what is now Yugoslavia, pieces of Poland and Italy. And as with the euro, the thinking was that things would be easier if there was one currency. It'd be easier for people to trade. There'd be one price for wheat or for wine, and they could sell each other more stuff. We called up economist Michael Spencer, who co-wrote a paper about this episode in history. He is now chief economist in charge of Asia at Deutsche Bank. Spencer says, like the euro, creating a new currency was a little complicated because the two areas not only had their own currency, but their own language. The Austrian part spoke German and the Hungarian part spoke Hungarian. But in 1878, they started this bold experiment with a single currency. It was called the Austro-Hungarian crown. So the top of the banknote would have been in German, uh, or depending on where you lived, the top of the banknote would be in German. The obverse was in Hungarian. So like I can look at one side and feel like it's my currency? Yes. That's how you merge two currencies, is that you take, you take a new piece of paper and you print one on one side and the other on the other? That's right, yes. That's how you make everybody feel welcome. It's kind of like today, how the euro coins have two sides. There's one side that everyone shares, but the other side looks different depending on where you live. Like in Ireland, on one side, they have a harp. And in Germany, on one side, they have an eagle. And as with the euro in Austria-Hungary, even though they shared a currency, they didn't share much else. The Austrian side had its own taxes, its own government, its own debt. The Hungarians had their own. You had, like the euro, a central currency, but no central government. Spencer says sharing a currency worked for a long while, for 40 years. I think as an economy, it worked reasonably well. Uh, they were a, a middling power in Europe, but relative to their neighbors to the south, they were actually fairly prosperous, and uh, they seemed to have it together. Just like the euro. And then, just like the euro, things did not go so well. To make a long story short, 
World War I happened. Austria-Hungary spent a lot of money fighting the war. They printed a lot of money, and that led to massive inflation. And remember, as with the euro, the empire was made up of all these different groups of people. And when the war was over, some of them said, enough inflation, enough of this currency that is losing value every day. We are going off on our own. We want to set up our own currency so we can control our own currency. But here comes the hard part. Just like now with the euro, for Austria-Hungary, there was no prescription for how to undo this currency union. How do you create new money and get it out into circulation when you've been sharing money for over 40 years? What do you do with the old money? It's not like they planned for this. There's no guidebook. So how do they do this? Greece, countries of the euro, are you listening? Here's your answer. You make it up as you go along. Because the minute you decide to break away, all hell breaks loose. Here's the first problem. Everyone in your region is using the old currency, the Austro-Hungarian crown. you got to somehow quickly replace it with the new currency. So the countries came up with a pretty clever solution. Instead of piling up the old money and setting fire to it and then having to print new stuff, they decided to work with what they had. They put a stamp on the old bills. Starting next week, uh, bring all your currency to the post office or wherever, and we're going to stamp it, literally stamp it with an ink stamp. You walked into the post office and they, and they stamped the name of the country. Uh, in the Czech Republic, they had a fairly ornate uh, stamp. Uh, in Romania at, at a time, um, they simply had a cross. It's as simple as saying, you bring your money into some place, we affix a stamp on it, this is now a Czech crown. It looks like an Austro-Hungarian crown, but it's got a, an ink stamp on it, so that makes it a Czech crown. I know it looks the same and there's someone's drawn something on it, but don't worry, it's new money now. Correct. It's not legal tender outside Czechoslovakia. Uh, and likewise in what became Yugoslavia, and then eventually in Austria and Hungary and Romania as well. And, and one by one, the successor states did this. Switching the actual paper bills, though, if you're a country trying to set up your own currency, that is the least of your problems. you got a much bigger problem, which is that your country is going to be flooded with money. Think about it. Yugoslavia, or what became Yugoslavia, was the first to break away and establish its own currency. And what it was basically saying when it did that was, we are not going to do what the empire is doing. We are not going to print more and more of our own currency. Our currency is going to be stable. It will be better. So everyone throughout the empire is looking at this happening, and they're thinking, I want to bring my crowns to your country. I want to bring them to Yugoslavia to get stamped. Because remember, the Austro-Hungarian crown was rapidly losing its value. There was all this inflation. So what do you do if you're Yugoslavia? Well, you got to try to seal the borders. It was pretty dramatic if you were living there. You woke up one morning and there was uh, you know, a lead story in the newspaper. Um, you're not allowed to transfer money in and out of the country through the banks. You're not allowed to take currency in and out of the country. Sealing the borders, easier said than done. People are going to find a way to get their money in. Because imagine you're in some neighboring country and you're still on the Austro-Hungarian crown. You're basically watching your money lose value. You're worried that all these bills you've tucked in your mattress or your jar or wherever you keep them are going to be worthless. All those years you've worked and toiled, it could all be for nothing. But then you read in the paper that Yugoslavia next door is starting up a new currency. And you figure if you can just get your crowns across the border and get them stamped in Yugoslavia, you'll be safe. Now, the stamps are only going to be available for a short while and the borders are sealed. But what's a border? There isn't some huge wall. You just walk through some farm fields and you're there. You're talking about border crossings at roads uh, in very rural, <laughs> underdeveloped areas. So it's very easy if you really want to go to the trouble of getting your money out of the country. 
So do you do you imagine in your head at the time there were people on horseback with satchels filled with 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 money sneaking it across the border? There have to have been because by the time Romania replaced these stamped notes with new Romanian lei, uh, you ha- you had boxcar loads of currency. So these were these were these were not small amounts of money that people were moving across borders. Remember, back then individuals typically didn't have bank accounts. Um, this was overwhelmingly a cash economy. So we are talking about tons of paper that was moving around. Some people even started forging stamps. In fact, so many people forged Yugoslavia's ink stamp that a year later, Yugoslavia had to create an actual physical sticky stamp and attach those to the inked money. You can think of it like this giant flow of money moving from one country to another as each country decides to break off and create their own currency. People are just trying to find the best place to get their money stamped. So the money flows from Czechoslovakia to Austria, from Austria to Hungary, from Hungary to Romania. It was basically a growing tidal wave of crowns looking for a home. So all of this currency flooded into the countries that were the last to separate from the uh, the precursor currency. So it was very clear that the that people understood very quickly the incentives where they wanted to uh, get their money stamped, and when they couldn't, uh, it simply became where can I still use this piece of paper? Because little by little, my unstamped banknote is becoming non-legal tender in different parts of the territory. So in the end, this currency ended up flooding into Hungary and Romania. In something like two years, the Austro-Hungarian crown had broken up into like five different currencies, the Austrian crown, the Hungarian crown, the Czech crown, the Romanian lei, the dinar for Yugoslavia. It was so disruptive, it took nearly 10 years for these countries' economies to stabilize. I mean, just try to imagine what it was like. For a while, it was unclear what anything was worth. Countries had to resort to just bartering, trading one good for another instead of using money. It was a real mess. Michael Spencer says if some country were to try it today, say Greece were to try to leave the euro and establish its own currency, in at least one way, it would be maybe easier because back then pretty much all money was paper. Now, a lot of it's digital. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I have far more money in my bank account than in my wallet. Uh, So bank accounts would be converted immediately. You can certainly seal the borders actually more effectively today. You you simply don't allow banks to transfer money, you know, for 24 hours. No transfers in or out while we re-denominate everybody's bank account. But this speed cuts two ways. If some official in Greece or another country were to so much as breathe a word about maybe, possibly, theoretically considering at some point leaving the euro, money could flood out before you would even have time to seal the borders. That is one of the lessons from 1918 is word gets out. And even before uh, countries started uh, stamping notes, um, people were moving currency across borders. So, uh, yeah, in in principle, if you could spring this by surprise on everybody, uh, it can be done. It is much more likely that people see this coming. Uh, And then, of course, as you could have the entire deposit base of your banking system flee overnight. The entire deposit base of your banking system flee overnight, what one economist called the mother of all bank runs. This is the real danger in trying to do something like this today. Essentially, everyone with, say, a Greek bank account would say, I'm out of here. I'm transferring my money out of the country before my government freezes my bank account and turns my money into some new, potentially less valuable currency. 
And some people would argue that this is slowly happening in Greece already. Money is flowing out of the country to banks in other places, stable places like Germany. Another thing that makes breaking up the euro harder than the Austro-Hungarian crown breakup is that the global financial system is much more interconnected now than it used to be. If you just sort of start to think about the implications for the real economy as, as companies essentially stop functioning while they try to sort out, you know, do I have exposure to this country? Where, where's my deposits? What currency is, to, is it denominated in? Am I billing people in what currency? Uh, I think it's, it's a massively disruptive thing to do, even for a relatively small economy like Greece. And of course, there's Greece's debt. You can't forget about that. It owes countries all around the world money. And those debts are denominated in euros. So creating its own currency doesn't help with that. For Michael Spencer, the lessons for Greece from the Austro-Hungarian Empire are clear. I would think of it as, as a dire warning for people who think this is an easy process. I think the idea, this sort of fantasy that withdrawing from the euro is is sort of an easy thing to do. It's been done before, and it's really no more difficult than joining the euro. Um, I think I think that's a fantasy. I think this is not a process that anybody's going to be able to control. As always, we would love to hear what you think of today's show. And our brand new iPhone app. You should tell your friends about it if you're using it and you like it. In fact, there's a way you can do that in the app. If you click on the About section and you go to Tell a Friend, it will pop up a nice little email. You can send it to your friends and get them to download it, too. I have to say, Caitlin has spent months working on this iPhone app, and you will be very happy if you are a fan of all things Planet Money. Yeah, it was great. I got to work with our team down in D.C. They were awesome. And also, a bunch of you Planet Money folks came in and did some user testing for us, which was so, so helpful. So thank you to everyone who participated in that testing. You can email us the old-fashioned way at planetmoney at npr.org. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. I'm Caitlin Kenny, And I'm Robert Smith. Thanks for listening. I'll go breaking everything With you swallowing the shine of the sun I'll go breaking everything Through the shine of the sun